This episode of Help Me Teach the Bible was recorded in 2017. You can find episodes on every book of the Bible, along with topical conversations on Bible teaching, at tgc.org slash podcasts. In my own local context, in my church in Philadelphia, uh, every time I teach, we I get together with a couple of ladies and we give feedback to one another on how did that come across and did I get the text right. Every time I give a talk somewhere, I have at least two people reading it through telling me where I'm unclear or where I'm off or where I'm not hitting on the text right. Welcome to Help Me Teach the Bible. I'm Nancy Guthrie. Help Me Teach the Bible is a production of the Gospel Coalition, sponsored by Crossway, a not-for-profit publisher of the ESV Bible, Christian Books and Tracts. Learn more at crossway.org. Help Me Teach the Bible is a podcast for people who love God's Word, and we go to God's Word expecting that He will speak to us through it. But we don't go to God's Word just for ourselves. We also go to God's word because we want to become better and better at handling God's word and giving it out to other people because we really do believe that God's word does God's work in the world. And I'm talking today with two really great friends. We've already been told we cannot laugh so much as we do this recording, but I am thrilled to have with me two great friends, two incredible Bible teachers, uh, Colleen McFadden and Lisa Helm. You guys, thank you for helping us teach the Bible. It's a joy to be with you, Nancy. We are so glad to be here talking with you. So Colleen serves as director of women's workshops for the Charles Simeon Trust. And before yes. that, you, you worked in the corporate world, most recently as a business development manager at a major insurance corporation. You've got a bachelor's degree in marketing from the University of Illinois, an MDiv, that means you did languages? I did, Greek Woo! and Hebrew. MDiv from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and you teach and train women also in your local congregation at Seven Mile Road Church in Philadelphia, and you also serve on the board of Matthias Ministries. Yes. Well, thank you. And then also have Lisa Helm. Lisa was born and raised in the Chicago area, mm-hmm. and she graduated with a BA from Wheaton College. And you and your husband, David Helm, we've talked to him before yes, on Help have. Me Teach the Bible. You guys live in the Hyde Park neighborhood where David's pastor of Holy Trinity Church. And then you've got a job on the side besides being a pastor's wife and doing lots of teaching at your church, working for an investment firm, yes, handling corporate events. Yes. Yep. Yep. Do that full time. Right. Well, let's just start here. Would you tell us how you got started teaching the Bible? What, what in your history or, or at what point did you think I want to teach the Bible? And did you begin to think maybe I actually could teach the Bible? Colleen, we'll start with you. Sure. So I became a Christian when I was in college. And after college, I moved to Chicago and found this really great church called Holy Trinity Church, where David and Lisa Helm were. And I started hearing preaching 
um, from the pulpit Sunday in and Sunday out, uh, my pastors explaining the scriptures in a way that I could not only understand, but it taught me how to read my Bible because I didn't really know how to read my Bible. And in hearing them teach so clearly, so well, helping me understand, I wanted to start doing that for others because I grasped the idea of how to teach to help others learn. So now I want to teach so they can learn to, t- to read the Bible for themselves. But you said you didn't become a Christian until you were in college. Right. I guess I just think, okay, how, how long did it take you to where you thought, okay, I know enough about the Bible that I could feel confident getting up to teach? I still don't know enough about the Bible, Nancy. <laughs> But seriously, I mean, just a few years in as a Christian, you feel like you were taught so well. You were like, I I think I can do this. No, I definitely did not. I definitely did not feel that way. But what I saw in my pastors, the way they taught, they didn't teach based on their capability or their authority. They taught based on the word's authority. So they simply taught the word and it went forth, and, and the word changed God's people, as you just said. So I, n- I still don't feel that I am th- I've, I've made it, and I will never feel like that. But I teach the word, and the word does the work. So what was the first situation in which you taught the Bible? Well, I did several small group type leading, leading um, or facilitating a discussion. That's right. I did. I did some of those, but then um, also in the women's ministry at Holy Trinity Church, we would have mini retreats on a Saturday where I would do a talk on a biblical text. Mm-hmm. And I mean, did that come naturally for you? It came somewhat naturally in that I always enjoyed speaking in front of people. Um, but it still was a challenge to be able to create the content <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to deliver it in a way that was understandable. Um, as a Bible teacher, you know, it is so important to be extremely clear, extremely simple in your message. So I had to learn that. I'm still learning how to do that. Well, I just remember, I mean, I've always been comfortable talking in front of people, but I remember clearly the first time I was going to get up and really speak from God's word. I mean, I wanted to throw up. It was terrifying to me. I, I still want to throw up, do Nancy. You? <laughs> you don't really, do you? Yes, there are times, absolutely, because you're tasked with this great um, work of studying the Bible, putting so much work into understanding the text, and then trying to communicate it. And boy, I get sick thinking, I really want women to understand this. I really want women to be changed by God's word. So yes, I do feel sick sometimes. Mm -hmm. All right. So explain to someone who doesn't know, what is the Simeon Trust? And then explain how you became the head of the women's workshop part of Simeon Trust. Sure. So uh, the Charles Simeon Trust started in 2001. And so we've been going for about 17 years now. And we operate based on the sole purpose of helping any Bible teacher increase their capacity and their confidence in handling God's word. In other words, we want to see Bible teachers make progress in their work so that the next week they go to teach the Bible, they're a better Bible teacher than they were before. Maybe someone says, well, I've been to seminary and I took a homiletics course, so I don't really need that. Is that right? 
perhaps, perhaps that could be that could be one way to think about um, your ministry and your Bible teaching. But I think if we really were to recognize the work that we're doing um, in handling the scriptures, it can very easily become about us. It can become about the people we're teaching, and it can quickly lose sight of having centrality on the Word of God. So at our workshops for the Charles Simeon Trust, we do workshops on biblical exposition. We treat them like a spring training of sorts for Bible teachers, where whether you are a rookie you're just starting off, or whether you're the all-star that holds the world record of home runs, you're going to spring training in Arizona or Florida because you got to practice the basics and you got to get feedback from the coaches who are watching your form. And I think every baseball player, whether a rookie or an all-star would say, I got progress I need to make. I want to be better next season. Same thing for Bible teachers. We always have progress that we need to make. And you're particular, aren't you, in calling it a workshop? I mean, we tend to go to a lot of conferences, but this is different, isn't it? We do call it a workshop. It's a place where you come to work on your work. We don't believe that someone truly makes progress in their work unless they bring in their work and and review it themselves with others around them. So a conference you can go to and you can get lots of great teaching. And there's some helpful conferences out there. You can download a lot of information. But if you're not actually bringing your work to the table, then you're not making progress on what you're doing yourself. Okay, Lisa, tell us about you. Now, you grew up in Wheaton, Good grief. <laughs> I love the way you like say the that. the holy city, the holy city, right? And did you grow up at College Church? I did. College Church was a wonderfully committed, a church that really was committed to the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I think when I sat in that pew every Sunday and heard God's word explained, that built into me in ways that I still probably don't fully appreciate. Mm-hmm. And I was blessed with loving, godly parents who opened the Bible at the dinner table. Really? Now, I still remember going through Leviticus. Why they chose that, <laughs> I don't know. But obviously, they were committed. They were committed to the they whole council the of God. Whole thing. <laughs> and we would kind of sit there. No. Yeah. But so the word always was respected. Mm-hmm. And I grew to know that it was a central part of who you were as a Christian. Now, my understanding really blossomed the end of high school and during college when I sat under the ministry of Kent Hughes Mm -hmm. as my pastor. And I still remember going through the Gospel of John and Romans and thinking, oh, this is amazing things I had never understood before, and week after week, hearing God's word and developing an appreciation for that, that that was huge in helping me understand God's word. So tell us about your first forays into teaching yourself. I was a young mother. Dave had finished his seminary training at Gordon-Conwell. We were surprisingly back at college church. He was a pastor there. And Barbara Hughes had been faithfully leading a women's Bible study and asked me to be a small group leader. So that was my toe in the water. Sat 
as a Bible study leader with another older woman, watched, learned, sat in the leaders meeting as women before the Bible study would discuss particularly hard areas, how to help our women understand the word. So I really learned a lot. And after a few years, they approached me and asked if I would be a large group teacher. And I remember thinking, older women are supposed to teach younger women, and I'm 27 years old. I don't think I should be doing this. And Barbara Hughes helped me see that older women can mean spiritually older, just further along in our progress in the faith. And so what a privilege to learn how to teach the Bible in that setting. It was great because I had wonderful mentors. Mm-hmm. And my mom, when I when I arrived at College Church, she was one of the Bible teachers teaching James. And then years later, I got to teach James. So wow. it was very cool. And you know what? Now what? my daughter Joanna is one of the Bible study teachers at College oh, Church. Kidding. No. Wow, wow, three so, generations. And it's, and it's wonderful. That shows the influence of God's word. It's not, a, it's not something that's in your genes. No. It's not. It is God's word at work in your life and how we as women can model and train other women to teach God's word. What a, what a, what a blessing. Well, at your church and in Simeon Trust, there is lots of solid Bible teaching, but you guys are also exposed, especially you, Colleen, as you travel around the country and you intersect with um, women's ministry leaders and people who are coming to workshops from all different kinds of church backgrounds. As, As women come to Simeon Trust, what do you think is the big contrast and what in the tools and what they're learning at Simeon Trust from perhaps what they're used to in terms of how the word of God is handled in the women's ministry back at their church. Right. Well, I can answer that based on two things, uh, a conviction and a commitment. So at the Simeon Trust and in my own local church ministry in Philadelphia, we operate under the conviction that men and women are to be doing the work of ministry, and some men and women are called to be doing the work of word ministry specifically. And what you could find in other women's ministries is perhaps not women doing word ministry, but outsourcing uh, that word work to a Bible study curriculum perhaps that they bought from a publisher. It might have a video component on there where someone else is doing the word work and they're just following along. They don't have the confidence that they themselves could be doing that word work. Uh, I would say we have the conviction that women and men, some men and some women, are to be engaged in word ministry. So we then operate out of the commitment to train men and women to do that word ministry. And when I travel around, uh, most churches where I go, the when I'm working with the women, the church, the, the, the pastoral staff is committed to this expositional preaching. So it is a steady diet for them. They are, the women are familiar with the word being preached, going through a book of the Bible. But when it comes time for the women to execute that in their ministry, there's fear, there's um, 
as I said, a need or, or, or a desire to outsource it to somebody else. But wow, we have a commitment. We want to train women to be able to do that word ministry for themselves. So maybe they're in a church and they might think, okay, exposition, that's what the pastor does. But maybe in our women's ministry, we're used to maybe someone telling more of a personal story or being more devotional in nature. But what you're saying is that the women's workshops, you're really training women to do the work of exposition. That's right. We believe the word of God changes God's people. I mean, people don't change people. It's Jesus who changes people. It's the it's Jesus's word who changes people. So we want to then expose women to the word. And the best way to do that is through this thing called expositional teaching. So um, in my local congregation, we have a conviction of expositional ministry across the board, whether you're going to be preaching on Sunday, teaching in the women's ministry, working with the children. We want to make, well, a simple definition of expositional ministry or or teaching is making the main point of the text, the main point of your talk. So getting the main point of what God's communicating in his, in his word, getting that across to whomever you're teaching. That seems obvious. So what is it that people do that's not that? Well, like you said, it could be the personal testimony. It could be, and those are, there is a place for that to give God glory for what he has done in someone's life. It could be um, a devotional um, on some sort of topic, perhaps. But what happens sometimes, not always, but sometimes when you start with a topic for some sort of teaching ministry, it can quickly turn into whatever that teacher wants it to be about, using text to support that topic rather than just letting the word speak. Mm. That reminds me of one of the things that gets taught at a Simeon Trust workshop, um, because a lot of the presentations at a Simeon Trust workshop, there's really several kinds. You've got um, convictions. You've talked about this conviction to teach uh, expositionally. So that might be something you would hear at a Simeon Trust workshop, encouraging you to adopt that conviction. A couple of other convictions you encourage people to take hold of would be staying on the line. Um, You two are in town here in Nashville because we're going to be doing a Simeon Trust Women's Workshop over the next couple of days, and I get to give that talk on staying on the line. Can't wait to hear that. You guys have given it, so please... And, and that staying on the line is that sense of having a commitment that we, we see what the line of scripture is. We're not going to go above it by adding to it. We're not going to go below the line of scripture by diminishing it, by taking away from it, by weakening it, by calling the people we're teaching to anything less than what the word of God calls us to. So there's that conviction of basically doing exposition Uh, the conviction of staying on the line. Another conviction would be that of text and framework, which is what you kind of referred to. Tell us what that means. Text and framework. It's a simple principle that we need to let our frameworks be ruled by the text. Great question. A framework is anything that you're going to bring to the text that would cloud your understanding of the text. So a simple framework, we're all women here, we would have a female framework, perhaps when we look at scripture, we're looking at it from a female perspective, 
instead of a male perspective, if a man were to look at scripture. I mean, we look at it based on political alliances. We look at it based on um, theology. You know, what is your view of the end times? What, it, what is your view of Israel? We, so a framework isn't necessarily bad. There, there, are not, there are very good frameworks that are out there. But what we need to realize is the text must rule our frameworks because we can have really good frameworks, really great ideas and teach those and miss the text. It could be true. It could be godly. It could be wise, but we're not actually teaching what the text says because we let our framework rule the text when we really need to let the text rule our frameworks and shape our frameworks. So that's three of the convictions that get taught at a Simeon Trust Workshop. Also, there's a number of teaching times when, in a sense, we're going to hand people some tools to get to work in the Word. And Lisa, at this upcoming workshop, you're going to put into the hands of the women who are there this tool of context. Context, yes. Now, we have all heard it. We all, we all hear on the news all the time, you know, oh, I was taken out of context. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of think we... We have a little bit of a sense of what that is. How does that become a tool that we use when we are going to God's word, seeking to get at the Holy Spirit inspired meaning of the text? First of all, we have to understand that our text is set within a context. And sometimes we rush right past that. And we have a text and we're so eager to have it apply to our women that we rush straight to what it means today. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? And we forget that we have to understand how the original readers would have understood that text and then apply it to today. And um, I have been guilty of that in the past. Oh, me too. And uh, what we miss is the richness of the text. We really do. It doesn't mean that it's less applicable. It it actually is more applicable when we understand the passage in its context. So what kind of context are we talking about? Well, there are three general contexts that we're going to be talking about this week. Literary context, historical context, canonical context. All right. Explain what those mean. Okay. Literary context, basically the stuff on either side of your passage. What comes right before what comes right after, maybe broadening that out a little bit, um, a larger swath, what comes before or after. You have to take a look at that when you're looking at your text that you're getting ready to teach. Literary context could also be what's within the whole book. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark. Well, what do we see in Mark? What are the repeated words and phrases and themes throughout the book of Mark that help me understand my particular text, because it should fit within that. Mm -hmm. Historical context, historical context as we look at Mark uh, is a little different than if we were studying the book of um, Titus or Mm -hmm. First Peter or Corinthians, because when you talk about an original audience, the Gospels don't necessarily have a particular church or particular audience, just like Corinthians would. So it's either special circumstances of an audience, the historical context, but in the Gospels, it's um, the culture, Mm -hmm. 
the customs of the time, that's really helpful as we look at the Gospel of Mark. What is a Pharisee? What are the um, scribes? What is this feast that Jesus is talking about? It's important for us to understand those things. I think for most of us as Bible teachers, we really want to know that stuff. Mm-hmm. But we're not really sure where to find it or mm-hmm. where to find it reliably. Mm-hmm. Have you found some good tools for finding that information? Well, I think, um, and that also ties in with canonical context, because that that drives you to other places in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And one of the most helpful things might be a cross-reference right there mm-hmm. in your in your Bible. But even before that, you can look, does my text have a, a quote from another part of the Bible that I need to chase down? Does, does my text fulfill a prophecy from somewhere else in Scripture that will shed light on, on what this interpretation is, um, either in the Old Testament Scripture or in somewhere else in the New Testament? And um, those are helpful tools to use as we study the Scripture and, and really help us understand what the text is saying, and then help us apply it to our own lives and the lives of the women we're teaching. Another tool we're going to put in people's hands this weekend, Colleen, is structure. So when I hear structure, I immediately just think outline. Is that what you mean by that, or is there more to it? There's way more to it. When you think of structure, think of shape. What is the shape of a text? Every text has a shape. Every text has a structure. I mean, any literature that we read today has structure to it. And the structure informs what kind of literature it is. So for example, if I go to a cooking recipe, it has a structure to it. I know it's a recipe. If I go to a dictionary, there is a structure to that literary sense. And I know it's a dictionary. Same with the Bible. There are different literary structures. We're going to be in the Gospels, as we said this week. And a lot of the Gospels is made up of narrative. And narrative is story. It's plot. What is is the plot? What is the the conflict that's introduced in the story? What's the turning point or the climax where where the the conflict is turned around? What what is the resolution that comes out of that? When we can see the shape of a text, then we can get at what that text is really about. What is that main point of that text? So you mentioned we're looking at plot and uh rising action and climax and that kind of thing in in narrative what kind of things do we use to get to the structure and other types of literature like for example in an epistle in an epistle that would be a type of literature that we label as discourse so it's a spoken material or it's um a teaching uh Paul's letters, it's one person speaking to an audience. It is in written form, but it is him providing this discourse. Usually he's uh, he's presenting an argument. He wants them to believe something or hold on to something or change something. So when we're thinking of the shape of one of Paul's epistles or a passage, even even one passage within one of his letters, we're looking at the key thing is grammar. Grammar, grammar, grammar when it comes to discourse. We need to see 
verbs. We need to see tenses. We need to see connecting words. We need to see transitional words. If, then, therefore, so that. We need to see how he uses the indicative with the imperative. And he always does that. He always has the indicative connected to the imperative. It's never a moral lesson. There's always an indicative about God, about Jesus with it. So when you're doing structure, I assume maybe you've got a big piece of blank paper in front of you or a graph paper. So if you're doing narrative, you're drawing out, are you drawing something out to try to find the structure in it? Or when you're doing uh, discourse, are you kind of working on the page, either outlining, indenting the kind of things to to show what's connected to what, to trace his argument in the passage. Right. Everyone probably does it differently. The way I find the shape of a passage is I write it out. And even if it's a really long passage, I take notebook paper and I write out what the text is. And as you and said, just a big block. Well, you as you said, shape in, in discourse, I do, I indent. If Paul talks in a list, I'm writing a list. Mm-hmm. If he's writing, if then I'm, drawing arrows from the if to the then, so I know how it's all connected. If it's a story, if it's a narrative, I write it out as the story is, and and writing it out really helps me get the text too, right? It's it's like as if you were going to read the text, and then you were going to hear the text. Um, sometimes I listen to audio recordings of the text, and then I write the text out. It's just another way for me to really grasp what what's there. So for plot, I will separate. I, I, I'll write out the text, and then I'll draw lines. Where Where's the, the setting? You know, who are the characters? Where, where is, what time is it? Um, what place is it? And then I'll draw a line where I see the conflict starting. And then as the turning point comes, I draw another line so that I can have those pop out on my page. Well, someone listening might think that just sounds like a bunch of busy work. It's not. And, you know, I just have, I have good instincts to know what this story is about or what the big point is here. How would you challenge me if I were to say, okay, well, I'm just going to go with my instinct of what jumps out at me and seems to be important. How's this work you're talking about get you perhaps somewhere different? We have the best of intentions. We do. As Bible teachers, maybe as Bible teachers that have been doing it for a while, we have the best of intentions. But when we put it down on the page, wow, it's amazing what else jumps out. I was just uh, studying through Genesis 22, the story of Isaac uh, and the um, Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And so many times we hear that story taught and the application comes out as, what do you have to sacrifice? What is God asking you to sacrifice? But it's interesting, if you were to write that out and separate the um, sections of that story according to the plot, you see the climax, the turning point is when um, the angel comes and says, Abraham, don't sacrifice Isaac, which is really telling that our application is, what do you have to sacrifice when Abraham didn't Didn't. even have to sacrifice (laughs) him? Right? Yeah. So what is the main point? What is the, the, the emphasis of that passage? It's on Abraham's faith. That's what he was tested for. It was for his faith. It wasn't, he, it, it wasn't necessarily that he was holding um, Isaac as an idol that needed to be sacrificed. No, that's, that's not the main point of that. And by writing it out, or, or just by simply looking at the different parts on the plot arc, you know, looking at where does that climax come, it's clear. It's about Abraham's faith. I know as I have learned this tool, um, 
and I take it back in some ways to messages I've done before. Sometimes I see how I've missed the boat, you know, but it get, but it gives me the opportunity to change. I'm thinking about I've I've taught Second uh, Corinthians twelve many times and put my focus really on the thorn in the flesh. I mean, mm. isn't that what everybody calls the the message that they're going to do about that? And it's so focused on the thorn. But when I began to do this work of structure, I mean, what it revealed to me was, you know, there's this whole element of boasting because you look at the repeated words and the argument he's driving toward. And it's really about this divine power that's going to come and rest on someone and that that's what you're going to boast in rather than anything else. So structure really can make a difference. It might seem like busy work, but it really gets us somewhere to more clarity on what's most significant. Absolutely. Another tool we're going to hand people over these next few days at this Simeon Trust Workshop is that of melodic line. Mm. What is that? Good Bible teachers are good listeners. And we need to be listening to the books that we are teaching. Now, melodic line is a tool that you would use long before the week you're about to teach because it is a tool that helps you understand the distinct sound that that book has. Let me explain. Every song has a distinct sound. If we were to play Name That Tune right now, uh, I could sing if I could. Uh, The first few notes of Happy Birthday, you would recognize it immediately. You could pick any song, and we've all done that, where four, six notes, you can pick out what that song is. Every book of the Bible has a distinct sound, and if we understand that sound of that book, we'll understand better how our text is to be interpreted based on the overall sound of the book. We read, 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 reread a whole book all at once. Um, but sometimes we look at, does this book have a purpose statement? So let's take the Gospel of John. Mm-hmm. John twenty thirty one. these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So is that the melodic line, or is that just one factor that's going to help us find it. That is a factor. Now in John, we'd have to check, is this purpose statement? It, it does this, do these words, do these notes, these words of life and belief and faith, Jesus, do these run through the gospel? And if we looked at John one, at John four, at other places, we'd realize these notes do run through the book. So, um, sometimes the purpose statement is very close to what the melodic line of a book is. And when we say what the melodic line is, there's no, there's no one right melodic line. But generally, we, wonder, we want to understand what is this whole book about and how does my text fit within it? That seems the key. So you, you've, you're getting ready to teach through the book of John. Mm-hmm. So you identify a melodic line and try to put it into a sentence, wouldn't you? Yes, a provisional melodic a provisional, line. Because yes, it, it could be, be always tweaking it a little bit. And, yeah. and the point isn't to get the perfect melodic line. The point mm-hmm. is for us to understand what what did this writer have in mind as he's writing this this book? There's an overall sound to it. And how does that fit in, uh, fit in with this 
the overall symphony sound of the Bible. So I would assume you were talking about John, that because we know that's the melodic line, in little bits of John as we study it, when we see words like life and belief and sign, those kind of words, we're going to pay a little bit more attention. We're going to know something's happening there that John is doing on purpose. Yes. Um, that I should make sure I do something with in my teaching. But what we want to avoid is teaching the melodic line. Because mm. every every text has its own take on it. In John 5, we don't find those words exactly. But what we find is Jesus is actually pronouncing judgment on people for not believing. And so there is almost a a minor key shift Mm. in that passage. But because I understand the melodic line, I'll help my women understand, okay, this actually, the application is judgment for those who do not believe. Mm. Knowing the melodic line of a book will help me teach my own passage better. Excellent. All right. Now a very important one Colleen is going to do called traveling through the cross. And I think for most of us, this is where um, so much of the teaching that we hear in so many places, this is what is missing. So explain what you mean by traveling through the cross. Well, let me first say any of these tools or principles that we're talking about should be basic in any Bible teacher's preparation this one especially traveling through the cross is seeing jesus to use some of your language nancy is seeing jesus in all of scripture and we know that all of scripture is about jesus because he tells us that in luke 24 you have this this pair walking on the road to emmaus and they are presented with jesus and jesus explains to them from Moses and all of the prophets, all things concerning himself, which means all the Old Testament is about Jesus. And then he goes on further uh, further along in Luke 24. It says that um, he wants his apostles to be witnesses of these things, specifically of his death and resurrection. So the apostolic witness, which is the New Testament, all points to Jesus as the one who died and rose again for the purpose of saving sinners. So we understand that we see Jesus throughout the scriptures. When I'm working on a particular text, what am I going to learn in this traveling through the cross uh, lesson that you're going to give that I'm going to try to do every time I'm teaching? One thing I hear sometimes people are afraid. uh, If I'm supposed to go to the cross every time I teach, isn't that going to all sound the same? Am I just going to be hitting the same note every time? Is that the case? It can be. And I call that the gospel sticker. That's okay. when we teach the Bible and realize, oop, I didn't I didn't go through the cross. I, I didn't talk about Jesus. I need to stick that on at the end. So does going through the cross just mean Jesus comes up? It Jesus comes up, but in the text. How okay. does the text reveal more about who Jesus is and more about who Jesus is specifically as the one who died and rose again for our sins? I've seen you draw a diagram before of working through a text where you start in 
what the text says and you, what people often do is, as been mentioned earlier, is jump immediately to what does this mean for me? You know, make it about ourselves immediately. But in that drawing, you draw a line first to what it meant to the original hearers from the original author. And then you, that's where you travel through the cross. Then you go to the cross and that happens before you get to what are the implications of this for me. So how is, why does that matter? I mean, why can't you just jump from what it says to me, or even from this is what it meant to the original hearers. This is what it means to me. How does that traveling through the cross change how I might teach a particular passage? Great question. I think it changes in two ways. I think if we start with the text and do all our work in structure and context and melodic line, and we have this conviction that we're going to let the text shape our frameworks and we want to stay on the line of scripture, we can do two things without going to the cross first. We can either become very imperatival. So it's all about the moral lesson that Here's comes out of this. Do. That's right. This is what you're going to do. The Sermon on the Mount is one that would be so easy to do that in. You know, um, anger, um, you know, what do you have against your brother, adultery, you know, just looking at someone lustfully. That can become a very moral lesson for a Bible teacher to teach. The, the second thing that can happen is it can become very intellectual, so let's listen, or, or let's see how um, this audience understood uh, this text. You know, how, how did they originally read it? And without actually connecting it to the gospel, it just becomes an intellectual lesson for them then. That reminds me, I've heard Tim Keller say that his wife says, I know you're getting to the gospel when my heart melts. Mm. And I think that's what you're talking about, that when we get to... Uh, whatever passage we're working in, how that passage shows us who Jesus is and what he's done, especially what he has done in our stead as our substitute and how he uh, covers us and how he blesses us, how he's our everything as we are in him. It's at that point in the message that our hearts do melt. Right. And you know, here's a good example. We can take the David and Goliath story in 1 Samuel 17. So often we want to moralize that into us facing our giants. We put ourselves in the place of David who has to fight the giant Goliath. When if we travel through the cross, we see actually David is the picture of Jesus. David is the one whom God sends to win the battle on behalf of the Israelites. Boy, my heart melts then. If I'm taught, if, if, if a Bible teacher communicates to me from 1 Samuel 17, my application is go face your giants, I know I'm going to fail. I just know. Or I'm going to be really proud of myself, right? But if the Bible teacher communicates this that text traveling through the cross saying that it's Jesus whom God has sent to save you well that's a whole different trajectory i'm moving on mm-hmm. well you guys these tools are significant and of course there's so much more we can say because at a simian trust workshop i mean we'll spend all weekend working through these things as well as being in small groups where everyone has come they've worked through a text themselves trying to figure out 
what is the theme of this text? And they've worked on the structure and they've thought about the context and how are they going to get to the gospel when they're teaching this passage? And, you know, when I talk to people about coming to a Simeon Trust workshop, especially women, that's, that's real intimidating. That idea, you're going to be in this small group and we're all so afraid of embarrassing ourselves. We're so afraid everybody else's work is going to be better. I'm going to have this written out and I'm going to hand it to people and all the people are going to be thinking, oh man, she doesn't even really get this. But it's hard for me to explain to people how that really isn't the ethos of it. I mean, just immediately you're around a table with a bunch of other people who are just like you. Nobody's trying to be better than each other or get it right Instead, we're all just trying to get a little bit better. Yes. Hasn't that been your experience? Yes. We're all trying to be better, but not better than the other person. Oh, that's good we're trying to, to be better at understanding and explaining the Bible. And it's no different than a pastor every Sunday. My husband's a pastor, and I've heard him say after a sermon, well, I can't wait to take another swing of that at that someday. So... Hopefully, we are all making progress in our understanding of God's Word and our ability to explain it. And um, by the Spirit's help, that's what we're doing. And these are just tools and ways that we can dig and form our lessons. Well, let me end our conversation with a, a more personal question for both of you. Um, like you said, we're all trying to get better. So perhaps you could tell me, how do you think you are a better teacher today than maybe you were 10 years ago? Because hopefully you have been trying to get better, right? And how would you still like to grow in your skills and presentation of God's word? How am I getting better? I would say two things. One, a whole lot of practice. I mean, you got to get in those hours, just like if you're playing the piano and you want to be a good piano player, you got to practice that. So I'm trying to be better by practicing a lot. And secondly, I'm trying to get better by getting this feedback that you're talking about. So I get feedback at our Simeon Trust workshops on my work. Even the instructors and the small group leaders, we get together for a pre-workshop and we get feedback on our work. But in my own local context, in my church in Philadelphia, uh, every time I teach, we I get together with a couple of ladies and we give feedback to one another on how did that come across and did I get the text right? Every time I give a talk somewhere, I have at least two people reading it through telling me where I'm unclear or where I'm off or where I'm not hitting on the text right. Uh, th- those would be two two things where, where I'm hoping to grow. Yeah. How about you, Lisa? The last 10 years... I have been working full time Mm -hmm. and I have opportunity to teach and I take that opportunity and I think the way I'm getting better is I continue to have a reverence for God, for God's word, to live under it. Mm -hmm. And one of the more challenging arenas for me is teaching children. Mm-hmm. I do that regularly at our church. I think it's the hardest. And to apply some of these tools to make the scriptures understandable to a three-year-old, to a third grader, that is hard work mm-hmm. without changing the message. Mm-hmm. And so I think I'm making progress in that area. 
Another way I would say is as I sit under God's word week to week, not in a teaching role, but as a listener on a Sunday, um, am I seeing some of these connections? Am I understanding the, the idea that a Savior is coming and a, a Savior has come and how Christ is the fulfillment of some of these Old Testament passages that I, I never really saw that before. So I, I do think I'm making progress, and hopefully that's being translated into times when I'm teaching other women. Well, I'm quite sure it is. Well, thank you, Lisa, and thank you, Colleen, for helping us teach the Bible. And it's a joy to have sisters who have this shared passion, Mm. um, not only to get better ourselves, because over these next few days as we teach, I mean, the reason I keep teaching at Simeon Trust conferences is because every time I grow by leaps and bounds Mm. by having, I mean, all of us who are teachers know that when we're teaching something to somebody else. Um, we're the ones who learn the most. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. So anyway, I'm just grateful to have godly sisters who mm-hmm. are committed to this work and want to love women and love the church. Yes. Um, that we would invest ourselves in, in teaching at Simeon Trust Workshops. So thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you. Thanks, Nancy. You've been listening to Help Me Teach the Bible with Nancy Guthrie, a production of the Gospel Coalition sponsored by Crossway. Crossway is a not-for-profit publisher of the ESV Bible, Christian Books and Tracts, and one book you might want to look at that features information about a lot of these tools we've been talking about today is a book called Dig Deeper, Tools for Understanding God's Word by Nigel Benham and Andrew Sack, which covers tools to be used in the biblical text, such as context, structure, many more. Learn more about Crossway's gospel-centered resources at crossway.org.